the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky team, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to turn our attention to the subject of uh, uh, cryptocurrency and um, artificial intelligence with uh, an expert in uh, Bitcoin and AI who has uh, penned a new book. It is the first in a trilogy. The book is called The Revolution Will Be Tokenized by Christoph Brook, and he joins me uh, now by phone. Hi, Christoph. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, Chris, I'm doing okay, um, but now I'm a little bit scared of the future. (laughs) the future is coming anyway it's bad news so we can't stop it so I think the only thing that we can probably do is just to do it so and that's actually what, what was my main incentive for that book and I wrote some science fiction book and I felt like science fiction is not taking responsibility too serious anymore obviously how the future might look like. When I was younger, we had novels which were going deeper into the topic, so that's actually what I, why I wanted to talk about it after being an entrepreneur in that space for a long time. I had a feeling that probably time the team talks about the future, how it might look like, and um, what we actually could expect, what we could expect from it, could they bad, and um, not much, but then what I see and what I see actually topics and what was something I promised myself from the start is that the one technology that I would pinpoint in that book out, and one technology that I described is not something that I know someone is working on. 
Christoph, um, you're uh, coming through kind of garbled. Is there any way to, to clean up your your audio at your end? Is it better? Maybe. Is that better? Yeah, that's yeah? better. Okay. That's better for sure. Okay. Okay. Um, now you're you're coming in and out a little bit. Um, but Christoph, let me let me uh, let me ask this: If you've worked in the field, um, what is it about the field that caused you to write what's uh, being called a cyberpunk thriller? So, actually, I think that when I was when I was young. I was reading those, those cyberpunk authors like William Gibson, and they were for me when I was when I was in my teenage years. They were visionaries. I mean, most people don't remember it, but when this book came out in 1984, the internet that he's describing was not existing. So he described it 10, 15 years before we actually actually came to uh, came to see it in its in its final form. So, and that was something that I always felt my whole life was something that we need to do with the technology that we're having today. So everything has become a bit more um, Hollywoodized. I always say, like, uh, AIs are machines which are try to, trying to take over the world, which they are not. Um, and um, the, the, the future is something that is much about space race and things like this. And I think for most of us, it will be not. So I was thinking about, I wanted to write a book about these kind of topics. And at the same time, I just had this thriller in me. So it was just, um, I started actually writing short stories. And there was this one short story which just kept on coming to me, the character which kept on speaking to me. And the story that I was wanted to tell her was just her story and it just turned out to be a thriller. So and I'm Cypher. She's the main character of all the upcoming three books, Young Woman, a very troubled young woman. And I think she kind of carried me through the plot of the thing while my, my wish to describe technology as it might be uh, in the future was actually what kept me coming back to the world. But aren't you doing a little bit what what William Gibson did back in 1984 when you talk about artificial intelligence? For most people, they're just beginning to learn what that is and what it means. Do you think it's going to be much more a part of everyday life uh, in, in the year where this book is set, uh, 2040? Yes, actually, I think it already starts, and it's more sneaky than we expect. So I think that um, artificial intelligence has come a long way since the 80s. So I always feel like it's time that we update our expectations. Nowadays, artificial intelligence is not necessarily this human kind thing that we've created artificially. It's not word which creates the human, but what we're actually working on is that the artificial intelligence of nowadays is actually very good at analyzing data, they're very good at recognizing patterns. That basically makes them think smart, that basically enable machines to make their own decisions. And the something that has started probably with the iPhone. Probably the iPhone is the first machine that was able to be smart and that was able to make certain decisions on its own. And from there on, it comes more and more into our lives. I mean, by now, cars, autonomous cars are complex, so we actually teach them to make their own decisions. I just knew a few days ago that futures are now in, in line. So they are soon going to start knowing what we eat, doing it without even asking us. So that's the whole topic of the machine economy, which uh, the part of the economy will be so automized, they can be with themselves, and we will not intrude into that space anymore, because they are more effective, 
especially more cost-effective than we are. So those are the artificial intelligences which I think will be dominant in 2040. I don't know if anyone will ever program an artificial intelligence which you can have in, in conscient, good conversation with. But what I know is that someone will soon program an artificial intelligence with every conversation that ever was recorded, and that the artificial intelligence will be able to imitate human behavior perfectly, just because it got all the data it needs for it. So that was something that I wanted to bring up, how, how we actually... Um, how we actually are going to deal with this kind of information. And one of the important things that I'm, that I'm feeling this book made and that I wanted to make is that artificial intelligence are not good or bad. It's basically what we use them for. They are, they are used. They are basically having a purpose. And artificial intelligence is way more purpose-bound than any other intelligent thing on the planet. So you tell them, wash cars, and it will just wash cars. You tell them, run a hotel, um, and it will run a hotel. And uh, the question is, what will we tell them to do? And my fear, which I address in the book, is that we will tell them to sell stuff, basically make every human a consumer, learn about every consuming behavior, and basically bring us into a system where we are processed as kind of data to an economy which is just trying to sell stuff to us to make us good consumers. So that was the fear that I described in it. You know, Andrew Yang, uh, candidate for president here in the U.S., um, back in 2016 when he first announced he was running for president he wrote a book and and talked about in his campaign I imagine he probably mentioned it some he just dropped out of the race for mayor of New York City just here within the last week or two but he talked about the future um, being so driven by technology and artificial intelligence that there would be very few jobs for humans to hold um, and suggested that we had to rethink our economy because of that. Do you think that, that there is a new economy coming, not just in the U.S., but around the world? And is, is cryptocurrency at the, at the heart of potentially a new economy? So I think, let's start with the last question first. I think cryptocurrency, as we know today, will not, um, because it's still lacking the ability to produce the volume that it needs to run a worldwide economy. So maybe the cryptocurrencies of the future, which might be stable coins, or it might not be stable coins, I don't know. But the cryptocurrency today just lacks the capacity to run a worldwide economy. So the Bitcoin would never be able to do that compared to MasterCard or Visa. It's still very, very slow. So um, and even they struggling sometimes. So but the question is, will technology drive us to that point? I actually, what, Mr. Um, when I was when I was last year in the, working in the company building, not last year, the year before COVID, I was cut out to be. Yeah, you're dro you're dropping out pretty oh, bad, oh, Christoph. Oh, wait, is it better now? It sounds better now. Is it better? Okay, okay. So yeah, so so we 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 looked at this speech very closely, and actually, what uh, I think it's very difficult to keep up with technology because there's this idea that all the factory jobs will go away, all the accountant jobs will go away, maybe even the lawyer jobs will go away one day. But I think it's even becoming worse when you think like. It's not long before AIs will be able to program AIs, and that will probably be the biggest, the biggest um, 
event of unemployment in world history because that will mean programmers will run out of jobs. The people that are thinking right now that they are safe because they are studying IT, at some point computers will be able to do that. They will be able to integrate systems, they will be able to invent systems. There are already initiatives where nowadays AIs are asked to program websites and they're doing a pretty good job. Um, they have this initiative, um, I think, which um, in, in, in the United States with IBM together where they asked this AI to program apps and it was already pretty good at it. So, yeah, that's one of the problems that I'm, that I'm uh, thinking the future will bring to us is that we will have an economy in which machines interact with machines and they're doing all the jobs, basically, and we're living in the world which they are running, not from the perspective that they have the authority, but from the perspective that they're running most of its operations, cleaning up the streets, getting us from A to B, getting our food, getting our jobs, programming our software, all things that they will be able to do. So, yeah, we need to face that at some point as humanity and think about if we want it. I always feel like it's a very important question in this, this regard. That if you just let it happen, it just happens. But um, it's still time to think about regulating these kind of things. So do we want it or do we say, like, no, this is actually a good thing um, and we'll allow it to happen, but make sure that humans will actually be good at uh, coping with it and um, getting along with this new development. Now, in the in the book, and this is the first of a uh, a trilogy, and I want to talk some more about that. We have a break coming up in a couple of minutes. But, um, Christoph, what do you mean by the title, The Revolution Will Be Tokenized? Are, are you anticipating a revolution, and is tokenized a word? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it is. In the blockchain space, it's a word. It means that... Uh, in the blockchain space, aside from cryptocurrencies, there's always the idea of the token. That means that is, an, that is a token, like a physical token, which is digitally transferred. So right. it's digitally transferred from one person to another. And if you put a physical object together with a token, that's what the blockchain community calls tokenized. So, and basically what the revolution will be tokenized, it's a bit of a provocative title to, to catch the attention of people, I admit it. But basically what it means is that at some point in the book, my character starts accidentally a revolution, which actually shows how powerful the technology of tokenizing things could actually be and how it could probably be a shift in the paradigm of our world and how it could actually be a shift in status quo. So she accidentally uses this technology and uh, in, in a refugee camp in Africa where she has ended up, um, she actually starts, um, starts bringing a revolution uh, up. And that, is, um, that was why I chose this title because I felt like I was inspired by the title for the book and at some point I couldn't imagine it calling it any other thing. And, and, and I want to talk about that a little bit because uh, you actually talk about refugee camps and, and places that are not on the grid, as, as we say. Um, but I need to take a break here, Christoph. Can you stand by for a, a few minutes and, and uh, talk some more? Sure. Okay, my guest is sure. uh, Christoph Brook. He is the uh, author of a new book called The Revolution Will Be Tokenized. It's the first book in the uh, forthcoming Daedalus Cycle trilogy, and we'll talk more about that with him uh, after we take a short break. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. 
And we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right Hello, back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. 
But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with uh, Bitcoin expert and author Christoph Bruch, who uh, has uh, penned a book, The Revolution Will Be Tokenized. It's the first book in his forthcoming Dataless Cycle trilogy, and we're going to talk about that um, with Christoph some more. Christoph, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Thanks, not a problem. Very interesting. First time I heard American radio. <laughs> that was meant to be honest. <laughs> and and where am I talking to you? Where are you at? I'm in Germany, actually. I'm oh, in Germany okay. right now in Hamburg, my hometown. Yeah, oh, so. okay. Yeah. Um, now, this uh, this book, I mentioned it was a uh, the first book in a trilogy. Did you know, Christoph, when you started the book, um, that it was going to be part of a trilogy or did you get to the end of the first book and think but wait there's more yeah i was i was kind of early getting the idea that it might not be one book because the whole topic was was spreading too far and i also had the feeling that i couldn't tell the thriller story in one book and then actually it turned out that i wrote all three books very close to each other, basically back-to-back with a few days of a break in between because while I was writing the first book, I basically had so many ideas on the second book and I had such a clear idea where the second book had to go that I had to write it. I'm a bit of an obsessive writer. When I have that book and it wants to be written, it's kind of not my choice anymore. So I wrote these (laughs) three books and um, actually I have written a fourth one by now. It's now in editing right now. but let's let's not go into that one because it's the earlier stage. So yeah, and so I'm very very happy with the second and third book because I think they look at it from a different perspective. The first book has this refugee angle, um, which is which was very important to me. The second book is more urban, and the third book is probably more looking into the ideas of what social media means in the future. So I was happy to have this kind of canvas on which to paint the things I'm having, and I also felt like three book was a minimum to make for the main character's journey actually complete. And and I mentioned before the break, and I was kind of fascinated by uh, uh, the the main character, Cypher, um, finds shelter in refugee camps in Africa, which is cut off from the digital world. Um, do you imagine in the year 2040 that there are going to be parts of the globe where the internet just doesn't reach or that's that's off the grid? I actually think that there there's a tendency that you're beginning to cut off certain parts of the world. So when certain things happen in certain countries, countries are starting to cut off the internet and that has become a very, very sad trend, especially in less developed, more authoritative countries. So it... I hope that it will not be the case. I hope the internet will be everywhere. But the fear that I described there is that when you don't want the place to be seen in the future, you will just shut off the internet because one should never forget it's not like it's a magical power that is around us. It is uh, it is um, relying on infrastructure and that infrastructure is relying on electricity. So it can quite easily be turned off. And, and refugee camps even nowadays, um, this, this idea 
was actually taken from a very sad, very real example because in Lesbos and in, in Greece um, they have turned off the internet in the in the refugee camp. So the the pictures of the horrible things that happened there couldn't go out there to the world. So and I was just when I was, when I was reading it, I was just thinking like this is a horrible scenario being stranded in a place where basically anything can happen to you because the world is no longer watching, and it's kind of the mission that Cipher takes up. I mean. Uh, she, she's running there because she's running from her ex-boyfriend and she has stolen the piece of technology that is very valuable, but she doesn't know even. But when she comes actually there, it becomes her mission to give those people a voice and to make them see again. Not because she's such a good person, but just because she finds it unbearable what she's seen there. And that was something that was very important for me as a story because it's something that I have felt personally when I was in, when I came into first contact during the European refugee crisis with refugees here in Hamburg, actually, um, I was pretty shocked at which conditions they lived and, and how many things we don't know about them and how many misconceptions we have about them. So I sent basically Cypher, a girl much younger than me, uh, on the same journey of discovery. Now, Cypher is on the run, as you say, from her ex-boyfriend and the company that he works for. Is that Damien? No, actually, Damien is the guy who's hired to hunt her down. So okay, okay. The, the, whole thing, the whole thing started, actually, with a short story called Decipher Me, which was the first thing that I've ever published. And that was a story which actually shows how Rico, that's her ex-boyfriend, and Cypher actually played up. Um, and it's probably not a Cypher imagines it, so I actually can advise, when you like Revolution will be tokenized, read Decipher Me, you'll get another perspective on what actually happened back then. And yeah, from there on, that she's running from, from Rico, who actually made sort of an alliance with a huge uh, international cybersecurity company. And um, he handed them over this piece of marvelous technology that he had, which was meant to do something special to the world. And Pfeiffer is angry about that one. But when she sees the technology, she gets afraid, she flees, and she ends up accidentally in this refugee camp, starts using the Daedalus, that's why it's called Daedalus Cycle, the Daedalus, that's what the program is called, and soon uh, gets into trouble with a big international conglomerate, which hires Damien, uh, actually, uh, to hunt her down, together with some other people. So the second protagonist of the book is pretty much Damien, a guy who's having trouble because he's having a relationship with an AI. <laughs> yeah, so, I was going to yeah. ask about that without giving any spoiler alerts. He's having a little trouble trusting his girlfriend because she's an artificial intelligence. Exactly. He's actually an anti-tech guy working for a cybersecurity company, so he's a bit of an of a character torn into all directions, but he has problems with relationships, and he finds his perfect companion in, in, in an AI. So basically, this is something... This is something this is really terrifying because I thought I imagined this. I came up with this. And when I sent out my book to the first beta readers, they sent me a link to an app called Replica, which basically is exactly the AI I, AI I described just without the graphic interface. So it's already there. This, this girlfriend of which you can talk over WhatsApp all day, which is basically a computer, just having pre-programmed answers, which in the wide variety of those, I actually spent a day or so talking with her. She... She's pretty close to what I describe in the book. So in the book, there's obviously a virtual reality, and you can even have sexual contact with her through certain equipment and so on. So you can have a full-fledged relationship. But how much can you trust in computer? So what is the what is the intent of the computer? And he's always he's always drawn between those ideas. And 
Is she made to be addictive, much like cigarettes and so on? So I don't want to spoil too much on what's coming. Um, yeah. But it's kind of a difficult relationship which she finds himself in, which was one of the important things about AI, which I also wanted to point out, which no one has seen, that at some point, uh, no one has seen it's not true, but most people are not, not seeing danger in that as I do. At some point, AIs will be pretty convincing human beings. They will be quite much be able to imitate us. Well, the you know, the, the television program Star Trek, uh, The Next Generation, explored the possibilities of blending uh, cyber technology with carbon life forms and making basically what they what we would call cyborgs. And they've popped up in other science fiction. Do you think that that there will there will be some kind of a uh, human hybrid in the future with the technology we have? I mean, we don't think twice about giving somebody an artificial hand or a hearing aid or glasses, but do you see technology getting to the point where it would actually hardwire into a human's consciousness? I am pretty sure that we will be able at that in, in, in a pretty soon. And I think the first thing that we will augment, I think today's uh, being, being a cyborg is called augmented. And um, I think the first thing we will augment is the brain, giving it better capacities, giving it new options to actually do things. And the body, I think there is a race coming on. Which will be first? Will it be the guys who are doing it in steel or is it the guys who are doing it through genetic manipulation? It's called, I think, hardware and wetware when you see this stuff guys discussing. I'm not a medical expert, um, but I think both will be options for the future. The question is, will it ever be cost-effective enough to be widespread in use, or will probably genetic modifications be, be easier? And then there's a third route, which I think is, an, uh, is something that, the, that medicine is pretty close to, and that's nanoids. So it might be that our body stays human, but our blood actually does not, because it's augmented with with special capacities through micro-robots and these kind of things. We're already working on fighting cancer with this one. We're already working on raising the oxygen level in the blood with this one. So there's quite much progress in that. Um, but I think that will be, in the future, yes, that the human body will be something that is adjusted and changed. And also, also from the beauty aspect, one of the things in the books that I enjoyed uh, was that ev everyone looks like an Instagram top model in the future because everyone can basically cheaply adjust his body. So I think that's something that's coming. Uh, even in, in my lifetime, uh, plastic surgery gets so much cheaper. And I think that we are just on the, on the fringe of what will be possible once we actually be able to augment bodies from within through nanotechnology. So in 20, 30 years from now on, I think your looks will pretty much what you choose to look like. But when you talk about Cypher finding shelter in a refugee camp uh, or in various refugee camps in Africa, do you do you believe there will always be um, a separation between the haves and the have-nots? I hope it will not be, but I'm afraid it will get worse. But I think in the world, especially what we talked in the beginning about, the machine economy, um, the only question is who owns the machines, because it will be the richest people on the planet. Those who don't own the machines will be the poorest people on the planet. They will not even have job opportunities anymore. And um, I think also that at some point the refugee problem 
will either be solved and I don't see how it will be in the short term or we will push it back from where it's coming from. So there's already this, 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 um, this concerning trend that they are now in Europe pushing back refugee camps in, in the African borders. In Libya, they're building one. In Somalia, they want to build one. And, um, so, and so that, that was an idea that I wanted to address. What will it look like when we basically leave a continent uh, by itself to deal with the problems that we have partially caused so, um, but yes, I think that refugees will be a bigger and bigger problem as economic problems becoming far worse for those countries who cannot keep up with the tech development. Those countries will not have AIs or which will have to buy them for a lot of money from those who have. will just be left behind just like the people will be left behind and that will lead to refugee streams. I'm, I'm pretty concerned about that one in the future. Yeah. And it seemed important for you... Um because of your experience with uh, Bitcoin and blockchain, cryptocurrency, and so on, um, to make economics, uh, or, or at least the way economics evolves, a part of this story. Yeah, I think that was, I wanted to show the good and the bad opportunities we have for the future there. So the book starts with Cypher, who ends up in this refugee camp, uh, and she meets Tiffy, which is an. an, an, an guy who was born in this refugee camp in his 20s, and she explains to him how the system abuses him, how those drones above him that are guarding him are owned by someone, and how this whole economy works with lending pools, all things that are already existing today, which are becoming more and more popular. But later in the book, I also show how she can liberate people, how they cannot be kept away from banking, how can they not be kept away from, from information by the use of a blockchain, which is in large part anonymous and decentralized and no one controls it and no one can shut it down once they're in. So I think those are both aspects which I wanted to show. And um, especially in the cryptocurrency space, it's, it's, I believe the great potential of cryptocurrency is not being speculated on and rising and falling in, 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 in its value. I think the great, great potential that it had from the beginning is that we probably need to return to is that it could be the currency for people who don't have stable currencies which are still billions in this world. Um, people who have no banking could actually have accounts in decentralized banks, which a lot of companies in the world are working on. So, and I think that's one of the great, great advantages this cryptocurrencies could have, one of the great purposes it could have. And that was something I wanted to include in the book uh, because I feel it, it's a, it is a positive side of something that also has all this uh, scamming and, and those advertising and all those discussions which are very aggressively done between different economic parties. But I wanted to say there's a humanitarian side to, to cryptocurrency. There's something good that we could do with that technology, something incredibly good that could have billions of people on this planet. Again, the name of the book is The Revolution Will Be Tokenized. It's the first book in... Uh in our guest's forthcoming Daedalus Cycle Trilogy. Uh, my guest is uh, Christoph Bruck, the author. And Christoph, you said uh, a little bit earlier that you have already written all three of the books in the trilogy. This is just the first one that's coming out, or that has come out, uh, came out last month. Um, how often will you release these books? I wanted to release them pretty close to each other. So the next one is coming out on July 15th. Oh, and it is. the third one is, is coming quick. out on... Yes, I, I was thinking, like, you have them written. Why let people wait on it? 
So I already get the, I already in my reviews get the critics. So why is only one Pogatia? So I thought like, okay, I don't. I, I, and the third one is actually two months later, and then 15th of September. And then, as I said, there's a fourth book that will probably take a bit longer. But I'm going for a pretty rapid release on this one because I just had them. I saw no point in in waiting with each other, uh, waiting for each uh, for the for the books to come out. So yeah, so I'm pushing them out, and by 15th of September you will have all of the books which are telling the story, um, which probably I should at that point mention. There's also a book of short stories called Don't Overthink the Application Set. It was uh, published last year. And many of those stories connect, all of those stories actually in some way, connect with the three upcoming books. So the Daedalus Cycle also has these kind of short stories around him. If you look my name up on, on Medium, you will also find a couple of free short stories to read, which are also bound to this kind of uh, universe which I have created. Um, so I'm usually developing ideas through short stories, and sometimes if I feel they can stand on their own feet, I publish them usually for free later on. Um, and yeah, so for those interested, um, probably start with the three books, but there's more to explore out there. Now, you said that you um, get kind of obsessive about writing. Um, what's the, the process like for you? Do, you? do you binge write? Do you just go off into... Uh, your workspace and and don't come out for weeks at a time and you have a book when you're done actually my, my work process usually begins with collecting those ideas which is a relaxed process and then I, so i collect the ideas i start writing little pieces i start filing on the looking at the plot i start um looking at the details of the plot how the three acts develop all these kind of things and at some point i realize there's not much i can do before i start writing the first word and from that point on, I actually do, I call it self-destructive binge writing. So I don't eat, I don't sleep, I just write. <laughs> so, and I, I smoke a lot of cigars while I'm doing it. Well, um, there, there you go. Uh, no, that's, that's uh, fascinating. I'm done, I'm done in the sleep. <laughs> that's, that's fascinating. I, I often tell writers about a, an interview. It wasn't one of mine, unfortunately, but uh, with Stephen King. And they asked him if he wrote to the muse or to a schedule. And he said, always to the muse. But fortunately, the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought you'd appreciate yeah. that. Um, but but for you, you're, you're more the, the type of author that... Um, that that just goes off and and digs in do do you feel like you're really following the the notes and ideas that you had or do the stories start kind of writing themselves the, the characters start writing themselves so basically i have these notes but then the characters start doing stuff that i'm that i'm uh, not expecting so especially cypher my main character um she i, I knew her so well uh, and kind of she knew me so well that she started messing with my plot. So she's very stubborn, and she also was very stubborn when writing her. So and she's not pushed around. That's her main main character. Her main characteristic, actually. She's not super competent. She's not a superwoman. She's not in any way a superhero. But she's a young woman who really does not allow anyone to be pushed around. And I felt she had this attitude towards me too. So she sometimes just said when I was writing, like, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I've asked, I've asked writers, um, you know, if they come up with the story and then cast it, or if they come up with the characters and, and then just play out the kinds of things that would likely happen to those characters. It sounds like Cyber came first, or Cypher, rather, I'm sorry. Yeah, Cypher, yes. She actually was a side character in the, in the story called Decipher Me. She was the annoying, annoying drug girlfriend of the main character. And then she just sticked with me. I, I just thought like, I I mean, I don't want to spoil the short story for anyone who wants to read it. But no. when I was in the end, I was thinking like, okay, that's, that's a prologue. That's not a story. That's a prologue to something. So yeah, she was first. And then the story came to me. Well, I, uh, I first her, then the settings, and then the story, actually. My well, first idea was to set her in a refugee camp. Yeah. You know, for a lot of people, Christoph, writing is kind of a solitary endeavor. Um, the Revolution Will Be Tokenized has been out now for a month. Have you had some feedback? What kind of response are you getting to the book? So, actually, there was, in, in the beginning, I got a lot of response from countries where I didn't expect them. So everyone told me, it's written in English, so you will, you will sell it in the U.S., but the first countries which I really got uh, people contacting me was the U.K. and Germany. So, and it was very good, very, very, uh, very good feedback. People, people liked it, people wanted to know more, people fell in love with Cypher, much like I did. Um, and then when actually America woke up and uh, I started to pick up say it's there. I actually found more people who had the same background in science fiction than I had, um, which they're saying like, okay, you're doing something Gibson-esque there. You do, you, are you updating cyberpunk and things like this? I'm not sure if I'm updating cyberpunk, but it makes me proud to hear something like this. So yeah, there, there were a lot of very good, good, good uh, uh, reviews on it. Um, and yeah, there are always the guys who give you one star on Amazon and don't tell you why. I hate it. I would love to know why. <laughs> 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 We all of got course. a bit of those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but and, and they never gave me feedback. So that's actually, I, I would like to hear what they hate about my book. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, haters gonna hate. But um, yeah, <laughs> Christoph, um, I always we're almost out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, Christoph, do you have a website? So yes, I have a website. It's Christoph Brook. That's um, Christoph with C H and P H and Brook B R U E C K dot com. And I also um, advise to actually get the up to date news every day. The Facebook group, same name. If you look for Christoph B R U E C K Brook, um, you actually find my Facebook page, and um, there I actually update. Uh, several times a week and you always find the new stuff also that's free online and I got trailers for this kind of things made because I'm a movie nuts and these kind of things and then there's Daedalus Cycle to, uh, written together which is the Instagram page where you also find all the audio visual material that I produce along the books yeah. well Christoph it's been uh, an honor and a privilege to get to spend some time with you and talk with you a little bit. Thanks for sharing uh, your thoughts with me and, and the listening audience. And, of course, uh, uh, best of luck with uh, all your uh, your books. Thank you. And honor was on my side. I really had a great time. All so right. thanks a lot. Well, take care. Have a great day. Okay. Bye-bye. That was um, Christoph Brook. And uh, the book is The Revolution Will Be Tokenized. It's the first book in uh, Brooks' 
forthcoming Daedalus Cycle Trilogy, which features uh, Cypher, who we've talked quite a bit about. And um, those books will be out in uh, uh, very quick succession. The, the entire trilogy will be out by September 15th, the uh, first book. Uh, the Revolution Will Be Tokenized has been out since last month, and uh, July 15th is the drop date for Book 2, and September 15th for Book 3. So if uh, you get caught up in this trilogy, you won't have long to wait for Parts 2 and Parts 3. And we're going to take a short break, but you won't have long to wait for us to return. So stay tuned. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all you, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. 
where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. What was making the factory go? It was IBM, it was Univac, it was all those gears going clickety clack. Dear, I thought automation was keen till you were replaced by a 10 ton machine. It was that computer tore us apart dear automation broke my heart there's an RCA 503 standing next to me dear where you used to be doesn't have your smile doesn't have your shape just a bunch of punch cards and light bulbs and tape dear you're a girl who's soft warm and sweet but you're only human and that's obsolete though I'm very fond of that new 503 Automation's not for me It was automation, I'm told 
why I got fired and I'm out in the cold. How could I have known when the 503 started in to blink, it was winking at me, dear. I thought it was just some mishap when it sidled over and sat on my lap. But when it said, I love you and gave me a hug, dear, that's when I pulled out its plug. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. Hope you've enjoyed it. Some interesting conversations including uh, the one this last hour. I apologize. The first segment we were having some audio difficulty with uh, guest Christoph Brook who is uh, uh, an expert in uh, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and artificial intelligence. And that's the subject of his uh, book that we were talking about, The Revolution Will Be Tokenized, the first in a a, uh, forthcoming trilogy, Daedalus Cycle Trilogy, to be exact. But anyway, thanks to Christoph, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Interesting guy. And uh, in the uh, second hour of our three-hour tour, we talked with Yale historian Elizabeth Hinton about her new book, America on Fire. The Untold History of Police Violence and Black Rebellion Since the 1960s. And we opened up the uh, day's show and the week, really, with uh, the author um, of a new book called The Sudden Caregiver, A Roadmap for Resilient Caregiving, Karen Warner Schuler. And uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, my conversation with her as well. That's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on out and down to the uh, down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow at 9 a.m. with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.